0: You are listening to The Bright Life Podcast, all about ways to stay inspired, chase your dreams, and find more gratitude in the highs and lows of the journey. I'm your host, Jessica Johnson. I'm a business owner, a part-time digital nomad, a self-growth junkie, a believer in other big-hearted women, and am all about sharing tips tips tricks lessons learned and encouragement so we can all live our biggest brightest lives you ready let's do this hi friend today we have a very special episode around what a bright life can look like without being the version that sometimes we think of where life is bright and shiny and perfect and that's not what it is at all A bright life is you using whatever your life is and whatever your circumstances are to bring more light to others and more hope and sometimes that hope is found in the hardest of times and stories. And I think today's guest is a really beautiful example of that. Her name is Julia Ehrman. And as you'll hear in the episode, she is a special needs mama. She has had cancer before. She's also an author, an online business owner, and her story weaves together through all of those different aspects of her life. She has so much to share about overcoming adversity, finding strength and hard times, turning challenges into hope and inspiration for others, and even building a business and becoming an author. But I will let her share more about that and wanted to just send her a warm welcome, and I hope you love this episode.
1: Welcome, Julia. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Yes, it's my pleasure. (laughs) What's so interesting for the viewers to know is this is actually the first time that we have met. and I'm just sitting here thinking about the name of this podcast, Bright Light, and that's just like what you put off even on camera, and so I just uh, I feel really blessed to be in this, this space of the Bright Light podcast.
0: Thank you. I'm really excited to have you here as well, and I think you emulate it so much, and maybe let's even start there. So catch us up to a little bit because you've had such a uh, like amazing winding life journey in even such a short amount of time, right? So maybe bring us into a little bit of your journey, and then we'll touch on touch on more of it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um, so like you had said, I'm a special needs mom, and my story is something that is so unique. And there's just so much, and I'm gonna try and share as much as I can today. Um, but I kind of was thinking that we would start at this point. Um, in my story, I had found myself as a special needs mom. I had a child who was undiagnosed, who had global brain damage, who was lucky to be alive, and had a feeding tube. I was living this crazy life that was nothing like I expected it to be. I was depressed, I was anxious, and I was stuck in this Groundhog's Day of like diapers, crying baby, nap, diapers, crying baby, nap, and um, so I just share all that because I want you to know where I was at the starting point of this story. I was sitting in a in a really hard hard space um, because we were undiagnosed. My husband and I were not quite sure if we were going to grow our family, um, but we were undiagnosed, so we didn't know that. Our daughter's disorder was genetic. Um, At some point in the story, we got pregnant um, with our second child and Russell, (laughs) his name is now Russell. And right after we got pregnant with Russell, can't make up this story, I um, was diagnosed with cervical cancer. And I want to stop right there for a minute and kind of break that piece down because I get so many questions about my cervical cancer journey that I wanna share with you guys today. And that is that um, I had been having symptoms of my cervical cancer for over a year before I was diagnosed. And some people say Russell saved my life, um, and he very well may have. I had been seen by a doctor four times and misdiagnosed. And so my cervical cancer was actually caused by having high-risk HPV. And I had a massive tumor hanging off the end of my cervix that I didn't know about. And like I just said, I'd been examined four times, and that had been missed. So all of this had been happening, but we didn't know it, right? At the time, I look back at photos, and I'm, I'm sitting there with Hazel and this just burnt-out mom who's depressed and anxious – and just thinking I had a little baby growing inside of me and a tumor all at the same time. And so it wasn't until we went to the doctor for Russell and I kept sharing my symptoms with the doctor and she was like, huh, let me take another look. And she, she had told me, she's like, Oh, I think you have a polyp. Mm. And, um, so she went right in and she was going to do a biopsy, but then she was like, well, we better take a look at it um, an ultrasound first. So I went right in for my very first ultrasound with Russell. And I remember sitting there, Aaron, my husband wasn't with me because he was watching Hazel. Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember seeing Russell on the screen, you know, just like a tiny speck and then a massive tumor hanging off the end of my cervix right in front of my eyes. And I'll never forget the day that that doctor called me. Um, I was sitting at home, Hazel was napping, and she uh, called me with the results of the biopsy that we did. And she said, um, you know, you have cancer, you know, this big long word, and it's almost into stage two, and I'm going to need you to, um, you know, go to this oncologist. And my whole world stopped. Life changes so fast, and that was one of those moments that it changed really 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 fast for me um and maybe you can relate to that you know maybe you're listening and and you've had a big circumstance that has really hit you in the face and you know what it what it feels like to have that moment of change where you go from well everything was fine but then like in one second a word came out of a doctor's mouth and everything changed and, and that happened to me. I, I'll never forget sitting on the brown car. We had this ugly brown carpet in our cabin. We were living in Cleveland, Washington at the time. And my husband just happened to be there. Hazel just happened to be napping. And my husband just, and I just sobbed, mm-hmm. just sobbed. And he looked at me and he was like, can I go for a car ride? And I'm like, yeah. And you might be thinking, that's the last place he needed to go. He should sit there <laughs> with you and comfort you. But I was like, I don't even, I was so broken in that moment. I didn't want to be with or see anyone. Yeah. Um, And actually the first thing that I did was call a friend. I did not call my best friend.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I don't even know if she knows that, but she will after she listens to this podcast. I called the one person in my life that I knew who had been through suffering. mmm and I wept on the phone. So the story kind of continues. And um, I found myself there. I was pregnant. I had a special needs daughter. And the doctors, um, you know, asked several times what our main goal was. And our goal was to keep the baby. And because of that, it made it very complicated. Because if I wasn't pregnant, I think they could have just gone in right then and removed everything. Um, but my goal was to keep the baby. So I, w- I went through a cone biopsy. They did not get clean margins. They took out lymph nodes. The lymph nodes were clear. Uh, but because we didn't get clean margins and we just really didn't know how fast that tumor was growing, and it was the very beginning of my pregnancy, um, nine months is a long time for a tumor to grow, um, so we decided to do chemo. So Russell and I went through chemo together, him in the womb. And um, I'll never forget, like, the womb and the woman's body is just such a miraculous thing. We delivered Russell at 35 weeks. Mm -hmm. And I remember when he was born, he came out and he had a full set of hair. Like, he had hair everywhere. I had no hair. (laughs) And I was like, this is incredible. Like, people always question, like, can you really do chemo while you're pregnant? Can you do that? And there's mixed... You know, people have mixed feelings on it, but I feel like that was just a sign to me visually right away that he was protected in that womb.
0: And I love what you said about that too, where, well, a few things. I think one that you called the person who had experienced suffering and who had been vulnerable about that, because I think it really leads into the rest of your story of you being someone who so openly shares about the things that you've gone through and mm-hmm. in doing so, maybe showing others that they're not alone, whether they ever reach out or not, but seeing that there is someone else who's faced mm-hmm. in part probably parts of what you've faced, right? Because you've faced so much all at once. Um, but then too, even just that it struck me of what you said of getting so clear on what what the biggest kind of mission was even in that time. And it was saving the baby because Mm -hmm. even there, it almost gave you the clarity of like, these are the decisions we'll make or not. This is what will be Mm -hmm. worth it or not. And so I think that's just two really like wise things that you did in the moment that you probably didn't even realize, but that would become your story later and be the story that goes into others as well.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting you point that out because Me walking through chemo, was it hard? Yes. That Mm -hmm. fourth round of chemo kicked my butt. Mm -hmm. And I had a special needs toddler at home. Okay. Yes. The whole time. And I went through multiple surgeries. It physically was really hard, but emotionally it was probably one of the easier seasons of my Mm -hmm. life because of what you just pointed out. Like I knew my why. Why? And my Mm -hmm. why was to bring this baby into this world and to keep him as healthy as possible and to be around for him as a mom, you know. And this little baby that we're talking about, he just turned three in June. He's three and a half. And um, we'll get to that part of the story here soon. But, yeah, I think you point out something that is so remarkable is just – really knowing why you're doing what you're doing in a really difficult season. And I think people lose sight of that. I think depression and anxiety grab that so quick. They're like, why? You don't have a reason why to be here. Nobody wants you here anyways. And like all these lies just start going into your mind. And it's a mental game at that point. And I think for me, that season was kind of an easier, it was really hard, but mentally I just knew. I knew exactly what I needed to do to get to where I was going.
0: You did. Okay. So you are going through chemo. You have your fourth round. Um, And what's the next part of your story then?
1: Yeah. So we had just delivered Russell 35 weeks via C-section. He was beautiful. He was perfect. And they rolled me right off to a radical hysterectomy. Mm -hmm. Um. My first question when I woke up from that surgery, when I was I was by myself because my husband was with the baby, was, did you leave my ovaries? So I had a radical hysterectomy, and I fought to leave my ovaries because, you guys, I had so much trauma from not being able to breastfeed my first child because she was in the NICU, mm-hmm. and... It, it just – it broke me. And I really – I was like, if I could pick one thing for this kid, one, I don't want him to be in the NICU, and two, I want to breastfeed him. I want to be able to bond in that way. And so I woke right up from the surgery, and I was like, did they leave my ovaries? <laughs> and, and this, it would tell me how severe the cancer was. Like, was it still there? You know. And she was like, yeah, they left your ovaries. So I was excited. They rolled me into um, a postpartum room, which mm-hmm. also – made me so ecstatic because here I was with a 35-week-old baby who could have very well had breathing issues. 35 weeks is kind of the cutoff where they could go to the NICU, they could not, and I really didn't want my baby in the NICU. I really didn't want to be separated from him. So miraculously roll to postpartum with my husband, my brand-new baby, life is complete. And I just really felt like this closing chapter to – really really hard suffering season and it was the next day that I looked at Russell and his lips turned blue Mm. and I didn't tell anybody
0: Mm.
1: because I knew that was the first thing that happened with Hazel is she started having seizures and she started going apneic not breathing And it took me a matter of minutes, maybe less than an hour even. And I told my husband because he had started to notice something too. And I was like, yeah, his lips turned blue. Mm. And if you're a mom who's watching and you've ever been separated from your baby, you know why I said what I just said in that I did not tell anyone. Because the last thing I wanted was to be separated from this baby. And I knew – he was, he was going in the NICU. And don't forget, I just had a radical hysterectomy. Massive, massive surgery, wow, pregnant, right? And you're so vascular, like people die in the surgery that I had. Um, and so they took him up to the NICU. And the next thing I really wanna point out is was that season, it was like, oh, suffering's over, we can breathe. I'm pretty sure I'm cancer-free. They left my ovaries. I can breastfeed my kid. We now have a typically developing kid. All we wanted was a kid we could teach to play baseball and get an A on his math paper and go to college and have a girlfriend and buy a farmhouse like we did. Mm -hmm. And that was all that we wanted. And all of that removed in a matter of seconds because not only did we know by his lips turning blue that he also had the same disorder that Hazel's was, that it was genetic, but my womb was also gone. Mm. We were not having any more kids. And that entered us into, I think one of the hardest seasons in our life and in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Because it was like. You get this one hit. Of like boom. You have a special needs kid who's barely alive. And mm-hmm. and then boom. You have cancer. And then boom. Here's another one. Oh and amongst all of that my mom passed away too. There's just so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and it took us a while. Mm-hmm. To get to a place where. We could experience joy again. In fact, when Russell went to the NICU, you know, I, this is like second day out of radical hysterectomy. I get into the wheelchair. I don't even know how I got up, probably pain medicine. Mm -hmm. And I'm like wheeling up to the, to the NICU there in downtown Seattle. And, you know, I sat by his side. I attempted to breastfeed him, all the things. Once we were discharged from the hospital, my husband almost even couldn't, he didn't, he did not go back to the NICU. Hmm. And I don't share that with people to like make my husband look bad. He's the best freaking husband I've ever seen. He loves his kids, but he was so broken. Yeah. That was. Sense. He was in pain. He was in suffering. And so was I, but our response was very different. Mine was like, I'm not leaving him. I'm going to be there with him Mm -hmm. as much as I can. And my husband was like, I can't even spend one more minute watching another kid of mine, another flesh and blood suffer.
0: Yeah. And so for anyone who's like either gone through something like this with a special needs baby or who's in their own season of suffering, whatever it looks like, what would you say to them? Like when you're in a moment like that where you can't, offer a tip or like a glossy headline like what was the thing like what's the thing that you would offer to them or the thing that you almost needed to hear in that time that really helped you even if it was just comfort and suffering you know that you knew you weren't mm-hmm. going to be out of it anytime soon
1: mm-hmm. I don't think I needed to hear anything I just needed people to show up mm. I didn't know what I needed. So if someone were to call me and be like, hey, how can I help? What can I do? That would have felt nice. And people did do that. Um, we have an incredible support network that really showed up in you know both of our NICU seasons of life. But really, I think more than anything, it's just showing up. It's not, hey, can I bring you a meal, or can I bring Hazel and Aaron a meal tonight because you're at the NICU? It's, I'm bringing them a meal. You can eat it tonight, tomorrow, or the next day. Mm-hmm. It's, I hired a house cleaner. She's coming at 9. How can she get in the house? It's, guess what? I um, paid for a babysitter. She's on her way over.
0: Just taking the initiative I, to do something. So it's one less thing for you to have to think about and organize in your brain or choose into just – just being there regardless of how it looks.
1: Yeah, because I think that there are things that you can say in later seasons. Mm. But I think when you put me in that moment where I was right there in the NICU, in the suffering, in the worst of the worst, I had to go through what I had to go through on my own. And the last thing I needed was somebody to call me And try and tell me something like, yeah, I needed people to listen. But I didn't want to talk to a lot of people. Yeah. And I just needed people to show up. Mm -hmm. And they and they did.
0: Yeah, and they did. And so share a little bit about the transition from that season to deciding that That there may be part of your heart that can share that to help others or even to help yourself in a way too. Like, What was the transition from, Mm -hmm. okay, I'm in this season to now there's this this platform, this outlet called social media where I can reach other people with my story or find other people in suffering as well? Because I think that's something that you've really built out of this that's really beautiful and unique is you've become an author around it you've built a business and but you've done it in a way where you're not necessarily showing like the highlight reel you're doing it in a mm-hmm. way that just feels really authentic to the story that you've had and to anyone else who's in those seasons as well so mm-hmm. kind of how do you get from that place to even you know a little bit more of that journey of like okay I'm, I think I'm ready to start talking about this or processing it what what mm-hmm. kind of was that like?
1: Yeah. So I'll back up the story. Um, Four years ago, November, I made a decision to jump into a social selling business. Mm -hmm. It was made no sense. It was not like, you guys, I'm not a beauty person. I'm Mm -hmm. like the last person that was going to do this. Okay. But I just, I wanted to learn the skills. And so I jumped into this business and it kind of cracks me up because it's a shampoo business and i end up going through chemo losing all my hair da, da, da. But the whole time i'm walking through that my coach kept telling me like just show up just share your life and prior to starting this business um i had no social media i had never made a story reels weren't even a thing i'd never been live on video okay mm-hmm. So people watch me now and they're like, I could never do what you do. And I say, that's because I put my face on camera every day for four years. This is what you're going to look like when you invest in something that you're really passionate about every day for four years. And so she just kept telling me, like, just share who you are authentically. And, you know, as I look back on that part of my story today, I've had a bunch of videos come up recently and I shared one of them on Facebook that was like you know here are my symptoms for my cancer and then you know here's what's like to lose your hair and then here's you know and it was like very intentional videos that I had recorded on live video during that really hard season where most people would have stopped most people have been like social selling like I'm not eh, whatever like I got too much going on but I had drive I just I had drive and I was like what else am I gonna do but commit and just go all in. And so I kept showing up and I just, what I keep thinking lately is I'm like, if I didn't do that, if I gave up these videos that I created in such a crazy time in my life, I'm literally my husband shaving my head on live camera on Facebook mm-hmm. as I'm weep. I couldn't even, I, I had to turn the video off because I started seeing everyone's comments rolling and I'm just like, a mess. I'm like weeping. But now I'm like, because I did that, because I chose to show up as who I was, the life that God threw at me in a really hard season, it's it's all on camera now. It's all recorded and it's blessing people time after time after time. I literally reshared this video. It's three years old and had multiple people reach out to me, like, thank you so much for telling me what your mm-hmm. symptoms were walking through cancer. Like and I'm going to just tell you that's not something I like to talk about.
0: Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: I don't want to talk about my cancer symptoms yeah. every day, but I did and 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 social media is the platform that is being used to help people through that. And so you had originally asked, you know, how did I convert being in this painful season to growing a business using my story for, you know, for other people. And, um, I've, I can confidently tell you every single day for four years, I have put my face on camera, except right after Russell was born.
0: Mm.
1: Russell was born. And I felt like I shared that with people. I would shared the highlight, like, yay, mm. Russell's born. He's typically developing. He's amazing. And then he wasn't. And I didn't... I had so many people so involved with my life on social media. I didn't want to disappoint them. Mm -hmm. I knew how disappointed I was that, you know, that he was sick. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I think it took me two days. And then I was like, you know, I have a calling to share this journey. And... I think as I moved forward and moved into the movement, the hazelnut movement, which we'll talk about a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, it all just came from walking through grief and suffering, which takes time. It really takes time. And I will tell you that I used my social media platform to help me walk through grief and suffering. And that's why it grew because I shared with the world what was really hard, what really sucks, Mm -hmm. and where I was actually at today while I watched everybody else on my team show up and share their highlight reel Mm -hmm. because I knew that I wasn't somebody who could do that. I can't, it's literally not in my bones to do that. Mm -hmm. And out of that, just one step at a time, you know, slowly began to grow this movement that's, I mean, way bigger than I had ever imagined and continuing to grow every single day.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you're a beautiful example of how a bright life doesn't have to be the shiny parts, you know, a bright life that's, that is a light to others can be the seasons of suffering and the grief and the just being vulnerable and sharing your path and doing whatever you feel called to do or whatever life gives you. I think that you're just a, a really beautiful example of that of like this can the light that's impacting others can just be the most authentic path that I've walked, you know, it and and so okay, talk more about then the movement um, that's <laughs> formed and the books that you've written.
1: Yeah. So I was listening I was listening to a gal on TikTok one day. I actually don't (laughs) scroll social media almost ever. But this one day I was, and she was talking about year five. There's something powerful about being in suffering and in grief grief for five years that really brings you to a place where you can actually start using that to help people. I think we all have a choice if we're going to help people with our grief and suffering but I really don't know how much we actually can until we walk through it. Right. And there's something that magically happens at year five. So I had had this vision to write Hazel's story for a long time and Hazel's my first daughter. And, um, I had written it and I just didn't know how to make it happen. I didn't know how to publish the story. And, um, I went online to like, I, I don't know if I did it through something like Shutterfly. And I just printed a couple of books for all the cousins for Christmas one year. But it was just sitting on the shelf. I didn't have an illustrator. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't know what I was going to do. And Children's then,
0: books, right? Like for yeah. kids, for other
1: kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason why it was so important to me to publish this story about Hazel was because I desperately needed – something to help me explain to typically developing kids why Hazel is different. All of my friends' kids. I wanted them to have something in their hands that they could read and be like, oh, this is why Hazel's a little bit funny. This is why she's different. This is why she has a feeding tube. So I'd written this story, I had not published it, but I printed it and I didn't know how to get from A to B. I hired a publishing company. I think I spent like $1,400 and I worked with them for a year. They did nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. It was so bad. I fired them, I got no money back. And at that point, I decided, I'm gonna do this thing. I'm gonna figure it out, I'm gonna self-publish on my own. I think I had posted something on Facebook and I asked, like, anybody self-publish on Amazon or whatever? Anyway, I figured it out. I grinded it out and I launched the book. And I really never forget when I got that first box of books and I was like yay I published a book and I was like oh it's not what I wanted it oh no (laughs) and and it was like this vulnerability like blah because if anyone's ever published a book yeah (laughs) Yeah, you want to have like a vulnerability attack? You should publish a book and see how that goes. <laughs> I a had a vulnerability attack. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was like, I could either stop or I could keep going. And are you guys getting the gist of my story? I don't just stop, mm. so I was like, I keep going. So I, very soon after that, I published a revised, uh, revised edition, and I got it right. It was beautiful. It was exactly what I wanted, and I wrote another book. And another book and another book. And while I was doing all of this, um, I had made a connection with a gal who was a special needs director of sorts of a very large area near us. And I asked her, I was like, can I share my story with your team? And she was like, yes, yes, yes. And like hindsight is like, why did I even ask her to do that? And why did she say yes? I don't know. So I shared my story with 250 educators. And they weeped. And they were moved. And I reminded them why what they did was so important, especially in special education and all education. And this one teacher reached out to me, several, but this one. And she invited me to come to her class. And I was like, yeah, I'll come. I'll read the book. They were an hour away from my house. And um, I showed up. And she had hazelnut shirts made for me, for Hazel. She had gift bags for Hazel and Russ. The whole thing, the whole school had gone all out for Hazel. And up until that point, it was a book. After I left her room that day, I knew it was going to be a movement.
0: Mm.
1: And I just, I always think of Elizabeth. Like, I just have to thank her because she saw in me something that was so special before I even saw it in myself. And I think that a lot of times like we have an opportunity as friends, as sisters, as colleagues to call greatness out of other people. Mm -hmm. And she really did that for me. And it was right around that time that I decided I was going to start doing TikTok, which (laughs) I was very hesitant. I'm like, I'm not going on TikTok. The videos are (laughs) trashy. I hate TikTok, this whole thing. And... I, a bunch of my gals that I do my business with were going on. So I was like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go all in. So I started sharing on TikTok and really just leaning in hard to what is this life really like? What is the suffering really like? What does the grief feel like even after five years, six years, moving towards seventh year? And, um... And it exploded. My account exploded. The book started selling. I published another book, another book. Six books self-published in one year. Wow. And, um, you know, it's just amazing that um, from something that has been the worst thing that has ever happened to me in my entire life, this little bit of time in my life, that all happened so quickly. Um. I, through that, I've been given an incredible privilege. Mm-hmm. And that is to share my story and to help other people know that even when they're in a hard season, even when they're in suffering, even when life is really, really hard, that they can still have joy, that they can still give back to other people and that we can have an impact. And I think that's where I really thrive is like, I just want to have an impact on other people. And I'm not someone who's like, yay, TikTok. But time and time again, I'm reminded by people. They're like, you've literally changed my perspective on how I look at kids with special needs. Mm. And I'm like, if it's just that one person, for me, that's worth it.
0: And what a testament to you can change lives just by sharing your realest, truest story. You know, sometimes (laughs) I think people are waiting for like, something to happen, or they feel like they need this or that life experience before they can share a story or make a difference. And you're living proof that you can, that everyone can make a difference by sharing whatever their story is and being Mm -hmm. willing to be open and share, you know, wherever they're at and whatever they're comfortable with sharing. But I'm sure it was uncomfortable many times too. But I just think that's a really nice reminder that I don't want people to miss is like you don't need to go travel the world, talk to some speaker on stage, you know, get hired for this, that, get the promotion. Your story right now is enough. Like Exactly what you've gone through is someone else's hope, is breaking a pattern for something mm-hmm. else in your family line, is overcoming your circumstances. It would just be such a whole different world if everyone led with that and that was enough to just share so i really like think that's very special and unique about you as well
1: mhm i think it's vulnerability i mean i think mm-hmm. people want to be known but they're afraid to be seen and um yeah at some point i just decided that it's not only just a calling it's an obligation that i have Mm-hmm. Because of this life that I've been given. And I think that we all have that. Like my aunt told me one time, she's like, um, God's just using you in so many ways. And I'm like, He wants to use us all. He wants to use every all of our stories. He, you know, and it's like we all have unique stories, we all have unique challenges, and we always believe like these lies. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to hear it. They I they're still in my head too. Mm-hmm. I just have practiced enough to turn my head and be like, okay, thanks, but I'm going this way. You know, when they come up and um, I, yeah, I just, I can't even imagine what the world will be like if more people just gave up wanting to look a certain way Mm -hmm. and just, started leaning into who they were uniquely. And I think especially, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, maybe maybe you do social selling or, you know, like you, you run an online business. I really, really want to encourage people to stop, just copy paste, start just leaning into who you are because we all have unique gifts. Maybe your gift is not starting a podcast. Maybe your gift isn't writing a book. But what is that? Because there's something that we all have that's unique. and um, But we have to give up trying to look good and be somebody else to really discover what that is.
0: And it's like that missing puzzle piece. Like the way that you, the listener, is thinking of doing something that maybe looks different from how everyone else has done it that is there for a reason. Like there's someone who needs to hear it in the way you want to create it or that's on Mm -hmm. your heart to share it. So it's like, use that as a superpower, the fact that no one's done it that way, or that you see things a little differently. Like, and for anyone who's thinking, as you kind of referenced earlier, oh my gosh, I do have this dream, but Mm -hmm. I haven't shown my face on social media, or I'm scared (laughs) to start the business, or is it, Is it the thinking of others, as you mentioned, that gets you out of that? Is it like forgetting about yourself a little bit and thinking about who you're impacting? Or is it also partly kind of that belief in yourself and your own, like leaning into your own unique personality? What kind of piece of advice would you offer around that for someone who wants to do it but is nervous? What should Mm -hmm. they think about instead? How should they reframe the thoughts they're having about it right now?
1: They should go read Mel Robbins' book, 54321. Mm-hmm. Now, order it on Amazon, <laughs> Audible, whatever, because that's what it looks like. It's not, I need to just change everything and I need to, da-da-da-da-da. like, there's no checklist. It's, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do a live video a reel or sharing stories, you know, whatever you're going to do. And then your mind's going to tell you not to do it. Predictable, okay. Your mind's yes. like, "Oh, people don't care. Don't do it." And you go five, four, three, two, one, go, and you do it anyways. And it's a muscle memory thing. I think that's why I've, you know, I've done it every day. Is I have the muscle memory. It be, mm-hmm. it's like working out. It gets easier. Yeah. I have never seen somebody show up every single day for themselves in their business, and then give up. Yeah. It's the people that show up here and there sprinkles <laughs> and then they give up they're like well I have no results well you have to be consistent consistency wins every single time mm-hmm. whether you know whether it's any aspect of building a business I that's just my personal belief
0: yeah yeah I heard someone recently say it as makes sense so for her when people come and say oh well you know I I've shown up a little bit here and there, but then I get scared and I go away, but I don't get the results like that, that I'm looking <laughs> for. And for her, she's just started replacing, you know, oh, I wonder why that could be with like, makes sense. Like makes sense if you're showing up here and there and not getting the results, that makes sense. If you show up every single day for four years and it gets easier, that also makes sense. So it's kind mm-hmm. of looking at, you know, whatever situation that you're in with business or growth or anything like that. And, if you're wanting a different result, is there part of it that makes sense yeah. based on the actions you've taken, knowing that, you know, there's growth and growing pains and everything. But I think it's kind of a nice, real, refreshing perspective of just like, oh, okay, does this make sense in my life or whatever, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, how much time are you giving it? How much creative energy are you giving it? So what's next, would you say,
0: for the movement?
1: Yeah. Um, so the next really big thing that I am jumping into
0: mm-hmm. is
1: running all school assemblies and I've done a few and they just literally spark my fire so much. And so the next season of the hazelnut movement, you're going to see more school assemblies. You're going to see more public speaking. Um, Cause I just, I know that it's so needed And I know that these are conversations, the whole, you know, the whole premise behind our movement, the Hazelnut movement, is to share stories, encourage questions, and inspire compassion for the special needs and disability community. That's exactly what we do. And that's exactly what kids need. Because nobody wants to have the conversation. Everyone's afraid what to say. They're like, shh, don't ask that. Don't ask him about his wheelchair. Don't ask her why she doesn't talk, you know, and... And I just am kind of like, I've been given an incredible privilege. Why not me? Why not me answering these questions for people? Yeah. So you'll see, you know, the school assemblies start to grow. Um, and I also am working on a digital product that is insane um, called Conversations for Kids Understanding Disability. And I am... So excited for this. I'm kind of a short-term project person and when I started this, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna get this done it'll be done in, you know, July and then August. And I just, I want you guys to know, like this is a project I poured my heart and soul in and it's just gotten better and better and better and better and this is a collection of 10 videos where I have conversations with your kids. What is disability? Why do kids not talk? Would a child with disability hurt me? And I just have these conversations with kids. And um, there's a million other resources that are going to be involved in this digital product, a community, all sorts of things. So that's really the other piece that I'm really pouring into right now because I know that it's so needed. And I know that parents want to create, they want to support their children in growing up to be people who are loving, compassionate and kids who include others, but they don't always know. And I just really started to see that as a problem as I was walking through and really growing my TikTok and listening to my followers. Like, what do they really want from me? What do they need? And I just really began to see that this was that unique thing that, that I was being called to.
0: Yeah, for parents and for kids, because how many little kids like in schools, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned, they want to be friends, they want to, they're curious and with the best intentions, but it's almost like there's no resource out there that helps them understand that makes Mm -hmm. it, you know, like you can ask these questions. So I love that. So where can people get in touch and to follow along and learn more and even support it themselves?
1: The primary place that I tell people to be in contact is on Instagram. (laughs) <laughs> so my instagram handle is ErmanJulia, julia e-r-m-a-n j-u-l-i-a E-R-M-A-N-J-U-L-I-A. um but you can also find me on facebook or tiktok um and i'm sure you'll post you know links below the, the podcast as well
0: thank you so much julia i've got so much out of this and i know our listeners will feel the same thank you so much for sharing
1: thank you so much for having me on Thank you so much for
0: listening in. If you love this episode, I have two things you are going to love. One is a free copywriter training full of five steps to build a profitable copywriting business as your own boss, no matter how much experience you're starting with. Copywriting is what took me from a nine to five to freedom as my own boss to travel, choose my schedule, replace my corporate income, and have time to work on creative projects like this podcast. And I'd love to give other women the same opportunity. Another, of course, is my book, Your Bright Life. You can find it on Amazon or Audible where I narrate the audiobook. So it's kind of like a podcast in book form. All of these things are in the podcast show notes. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you and your review so much. And I'll see you back here next Thursday.